you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 264 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the jean Quiz Rebellion episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that um, there was this re- rebellion in China by a dude named uh, jean Hui, uh, and he led a rebellion, which is why it's called jean Quiz Rebellion. And it happened... In 264, and with that wonderfully weird information about 264, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. And I thought you were about to talk about a French rebellion, because I think the French get labeled as the rebellious country. And Jean Cui sounds quite French when you're hearing that name said. My bad. I wasn't trying to go with uh, Jean Cui. That's like, Jean-Louis. like Jean-Luc Picard, but I was Jean Dapidi. Yeah, I was more or less trying to uh, do Chinese justice with the Zhuang Zhang Hui, without but being stereotypical. <laughs> I guess uh, apparently I'm failing because not only did I insult the Chinese by not getting it right, I've insulted the French by sounding badly French. So. <laughs> Maybe 264, I'll find something else for 264. Quick, how did Matt insult everybody in 264 ways? Well, if you add 2 plus 6 and 4, that's 12. And now we've got the, you know, Tim's Reaching episode. So, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're, we're doing all sorts of fun things here. All sorts of fun things. So, how are you doing, sir? Oh, I I caught something this uh, a few days ago on, on Friday... I caught a bug of some kind, got the sore throat thing going on, spent all weekend on the couch trying to nurse myself back to good health. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine. I can, I can speak. I can breathe. I can and speak some more, you know? So I, I guess it could be worth How How are you doing? You sound, you got the sniffles. Are you still being impacted by this horrible flu season? No, no, no. I, I literally just happened to get something in my nose right before we started recording, and I could feel it, and it was bothering me, and I didn't want to have to all of a sudden just kind of like, right in the middle of the show or something. So I went to grab the old tissue there yeah, and and successfully managed to dislodge whatever the frick it was. We're good, sir. We're, we're good. Was it the bukkake, the plant bukkake, which... I have a question about Bukaki. <laughs> I'm feeling deja vu. Did we already have this discussion before? Well, well I mean, when... we, we, we brought up... I think I introduced the idea of plant Bukaki last year. You did. You did. But you realize I didn't know what Bukaki was until I Googled it <laughs> to figure out how to spell it to put it in the title of one of our episodes. Of last month, and I did that at work, and I my (laughs) that's even better. And somebody saw that, and I I didn't realize it was because I thought how you spelt the raunchy kind. I thought I mean I guess it's all raunchy, 
but I, I thought it was I thought it was I thought it was bu cake like bu cake episode two sixty four in which we learn the non raunchy version of bukaki. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I guess plant. So if you have plant bukaki and call me by your name, would that be uh, produce bukaki or pe- peach no. bukaki? It doesn't that what no peach bukaki. <laughs> Bukaki Peach. <laughs> it's it's what it's what it's the next rum that Bacardi's gonna make. Um, peach Bukaki rum. Bu- Bukaki Peach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's somehow that's somehow worse than call me by your produce name. Could you imagine what Captain Morgan is is resting his leg on for <sighs> Bukaki Peach rum? Good lord, Who he knows? spent. For half a century, we've been aging the captain's peach bukkake in in oak barrels in the cellars of Jean Dapper Du. Dapper Du, huh? No. <laughs> How is it? Gerard little... Depardieu. Depardieu. Okay. Depardieu. Well, yeah. At least I didn't call him like Ger- Gerald Dapper Dan. I just, <laughs> may as well. <laughs> I'm a Dapper Dan man. <laughs> I like Bukaki Peach. <laughs> I know we'll get to call me by your name later, and I know we had a very mature conversation about this scene. I just kind of wonder, like, you really hope they don't have one of those really nosy, comfortable housekeepers who found that peach in in the trash bin and was like, wow, this is a perfectly good peach and just bites into it. (laughs) Uh, Your typical elderly, you know, European nannies where there's no boundary to where if they see a half-eaten apple that's still good, they knew it belonged to somebody that they're taking care of, they'll just bite into it. It's entirely possible. Yeah. So if you've seen Call Me By Your Name once, see it again to see where exactly that peach is put the second time. (laughs) (laughs) Or I guess third time, I don't know. Oh, my God. shit. All right, well, we've got a lot of movies to get to and a little less than an hour to get them done in. So since we're on about uh, Bukaki and everything, shall we check the old sack? Check that mail sack, check it good. Check that mail sack like you should. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, I almost want to cry a little bit. Because somebody actually wrote us an email. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't oh. believe it. The, it's been... The, the drought is over. A while. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The, the drought is over. Uh, thanks to our savior, our heroine, Diana Weeks, we finally oh. have an email to read. Yes. You may unclench your assholes because you don't have to hear the horrible <laughs> screaming castration noise. That's right. Yes. I guess let's get right to it. It says here, the subject line reads, I, as in the possessive, I, I, as in your two eyeballs, Tanya. She writes, happy Mew year, guys. Glad you feel better, Matt. I was worried you damaged yourself on that bender on the live with Tim episode. (laughs) 
<laughs> you are not the only one, <laughs> would like you guys to see I, Tanya, and give your reactions. I saw it and have mixed feelings. I almost feel guilty that I enjoyed it despite all the violence. Oh, good. I just heard Matt say you were seeing it for next week. Yay! That reminds me. Uh, oh, and thanks for reminding me to check out Three Billboards and Get Movie Pass. Till next week, Diana. Well, I am glad that, uh, Diana, you were moved to write us as you were listening. That's actually kind of fun because we get to see the edit as she goes through. And she's like, oh, hey, look, I just heard that y'all are doing it for next week. So outstanding. And I hope that you agree with our um across the board 4.5 review of that movie yes it was violent and again we talked a little bit about the over the topness um but uh i don't think i i don't know i don't think that you should uh feel guilty for enjoying it personally tim do you think she should feel guilty no i don't think so all right well there you go dana you you have been you have been given your sls cast absolution and oh. But we do want to, I do want to know what you think of of, uh, three billboards though. Talk about excessiveness. Oh, that's true. Definitely. We really want to hear what you have to say about billboards. So hit us up on Twitter. If you don't have time to send us that email, which of course, if you would like to send us an email, please, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, send us an email to the show at slscast.com. Or if you'd just like to hit us up on Twitter and let us know what movies you've seen and, uh, or what you'd like for us to see then you can do that by following us at the SLS cast. So awesome possum. And until next time, shall we go ahead and move on to the news? Mosey on over to the news. Excellent. Here we go, folks. It's the news. And first up from me, from SlashFilm.com, by way of Ben Pearson, Cloverfield 4 is a WW2 thriller called Overlord, and it's already done filming. Yes, Ben writes, who could have predicted that 2008's handheld monster movie Cloverfield would spawn a franchise we'd still be talking about 10 years later? 2016's surprise sort of sequel, 10 Cloverfield Lane, provided us our first look at the anthology-like nature of this loose franchise umbrella. And while we wait to see a trailer for God Particle, now possibly titled Cloverfield Station, and learn when and how we're actually going to see that movie, Slash Film has confirmation that Cloverfield 4 not only exists, but that it's already completed filming. The project is called Overlord, and we're all about to find out what it's all about below. So, it says here that the synopsis goes, On the eve of D-Day, American paratroopers are drop-eyed enemy lines to carry out a mission crucial to the invasion's success. But as they approach their target, they begin to realize there is more going on in this Nazi-occupied village than a simple military operation. They find themselves fighting against supernatural forces, part of a Nazi's experiment. Yes. Yes, Overlord is directed by Julius Avery, from, um, who's done Son of a Gun, and stars Wyatt Russell from 22 Jump Street and Joe Venedepo from Fences. About a year ago, it was speculated that this could be the fourth entry in the slowly expanding Cloververse, 
And after Screen Rant theorized about that same thing, Slash Film received confirmation from their sources that, yes, Overlord is indeed Cloverfield 4 and that the project has completed production. Uh, it says here that it all lines up. God Particles started out as a separate project before word came out that it's set in the Cloververse and Overlord followed the same path. They're both produced by J.J. Abrams and directed by up-and-coming filmmakers, as were the original Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane. And all the films so far have featured strong casts and high-concept science fiction stories now uh there's definitely a little bit more to read there probably about another third of that article so i highly recommend you go and wrap that article up if you are interested cloverfield 4 is a world war ii thriller called overlord and it's already done filming by way of ben pearson over at slashfilm.com tim thoughts on the fact that uh we haven't even gotten three yet and four is already in the can i think it's cool i like the idea that they're trying to keep stuff under wraps. I can understand why. Look at uh, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane or even the first Cloverfield movie. I don't want to say that they're gimmicks, but the relatively simple stories to where the intrigue of the story itself is what makes the movie worth seeing. And unfortunately, with trailers and releasing clips online, it ruins the intrigue. It's kind of fun not knowing what to expect, going into it not knowing exactly who the characters are, who not to trust, as was the case with 10 Cloverfield Lane. Like, we didn't know if John Goodman was a good guy or a bad guy. So whenever the ending, you know, what it built up to was quite shocking. And so I like kind of what we're seeing here. However, I just kind of worry that it's going to lose its luster. Like, I am having a hard time understanding or seeing what direction all these movies can go towards and how original each outing is going to be. I mean, when you have the God Particle, which takes place on a space station, and they discover something that's horrific, and it reminds me a lot of that movie Life with Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal, where they find that bacteria, alien-type creature, basically wreaks havoc and ends up at the end of the movie landing on Earth, and what you assume is going to happen is become this evil monster and, you know, start terrorizing people on Earth. We've seen something like that before, but what's also fascinating, and again, like with Cloverfield Lane, we don't know exactly how this movie, what exactly God Particle is going to be about. If it's going to be something quite different, if only part of it is about people on a space station, or even if hardly any of it actually takes place on a space station, the intrigue and mystery is still there and i'm still on board with it however again i'm just hoping it's not going to run its course shrouding itself in mystery just to be mysterious and not have the substance to back up that reasoning well all right man um well i know that uh, the oscar nomination we are recording on the 29th of january uh, as far as it goes so the oscar nominations have come out and tim i know you're anxious to discuss them we're not going to give you the exhaustive list for that of course you can always go to oscar.go.com slash nominees but i know tim you are very excited to discuss some of that so yeah what, what do you want to talk about sir what do you want to talk about yeah i don't want to go through the whole thing but i am curious matthew are there any nominations that totally caught you off guard actors or films that you felt were snubbed or uh, those that deserved being on here that you were happy to see on this list. I know there is one film on here that has no representation whatsoever in the form of nominations, uh, and that is the film Maudie that I 
loved. That starred Ethan Hawke and Sally Hawkins. Personally, that was my favorite flick of this past year. Not my favorite flick, but one of my favorite flicks of this past year. But it was Sally Hawkins' best uh, performance, comparing it to her performance in The Shape of Water. I was equally surprised that neither director Ailing Walsh or its screenwriter Sherry White weren't even nominated. Uh, and I really wanted to see the, this film have some kind of representation on the nomination list. Because of that, this is definitely the Love and Mercy of 2018. Love and Mercy came out a couple <laughs> years ago, and it was completely snubbed. Not only did Paul Dano do a stellar job, but John Cusack was awesome. The film itself was great. It could have won a... I mean, it could the director, I forget the director's name, but the director could have been nominated. Was there anything like that that uh, you felt was missing from this list from any ki- from uh, any of these uh, categories? Well, for me, I-, I don't know that it was necessarily out and out missing from the categories other than um, Army Hammer. And I know we'll get into this a little bit later on when we talk about the, the movie because we're covering Call Me By Your Name this evening but or this episode. But I am definitely frustrated by his lack of inclusion. I mean, I guess if I have to choose somebody to drop off the list here from the current, I would, I would say swap out Plummer. I mean, he, he did a great job in failing Plummer than maybe Jenkins, but maybe they could have just had six people. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I really feel like, you know, Army Hammer is never going to be forgiven for. Lone Ranger or something. I'm not sure. I, I was definitely s- surprised by the inclusion of Ferdinand and Boss Baby to the animated feature list. Oh, Boss Baby. Yeah, that surprised a lot of people. Ferdinand, too. I still need to catch Breadwinner and Loving Vincent, so I'm not going to make a, an across-the-board pick. But I don't know. I... I enjoyed Boss Baby. I don't know that it's necessary necessarily Academy Award winning caliber. But it was it was fun. It was good. Ferdinand definitely does not scream Oscar caliber to me in any way, shape, or form. So I'm not sure why these movies are there. I'm surprised that a movie like Mudbound gets thrown in for cinematography. Um, but not best picture where get out does and not because I don't think Jordan Peele did a great job or anything, but I don't know that the caliber, the overall execution of the film and subject matter one way or the other is truly best picture material. I get it's satirical. I get the stuff that it is satirizing in get out, and and I think that's probably why he and, and its runaway success is undeniable. And and I can see where the director nod for the nomination comes from on that. But I don't know. I think Mudbound deserves. I, I mean, it's just weird. Uh, there's just lots of weird stuff. I'm a little disappointed that the Post has been nominated for Best Picture. Right, because we described it was a little too much. Not not fan service, but political service yeah and Meryl Streep getting nominated for best actress out of that I I disagree I just I don't know maybe they just couldn't nominate Sally Hawkins twice <laughs> who knows oh that that'd be so fascinating one actress competing against herself and three other sure. people yeah so I, I don't know I mean it's not so much that I'm surprised by anything 
that wasn't necessarily like not the only snub in my opinion really and truly has been army hammer i i think he i think he deserved a supporting role nod but um other than that i wasn't really surprised by anything i don't know i don't think shape of water really deserves its i think it definitely deserves its nomination in cinematography I, I would almost go out on, let's see here, make sure. Yeah, we've already seen all these movies and covered them all. Yeah, I can't see another movie on this list that deserves cinematography more than Shape of Water. But Best Picture? Really? Best Picture? <laughs> that's, that's So that's where I'm at. I, I don't know. We'll just end up wandering down this rabbit hole. I think a couple that I'm not a big fan of seeing on this list is Woody Harrelson and Three Billboards. To me, that role does not scream best supporting actor type whereas sam rockwell's character does uh i do think christopher Plummer does a better job than woody harrelson well no, i can see that he's on the but what okay so for me woody harrelson's on the bubble um I, I don't know i guess i just lean into woody harrelson a little bit more than christopher Plummer, um mainly because of the circumstances for Plummer. uh not that he's not deserving per se but more that I think that there, I almost feel like he would not have gotten the nomination had it not been for the whole spacey thing. Well, maybe. But at any rate. And then lastly, I think uh, Get Out for me, Best Actor nomination for Daniel Kaluuya. I thought that was well deserved. Uh, I've only saw the movie, only saw the movie once, or have seen the movie once. I'm going to rewatch it again uh, before we do our Oscar picks. But that's the one thing that really stands out from that film is his performance. The script was good. I thought the movie is good. It's just, I think people were giving it a lot of props because it's not a very familiar type of movie, even though movies like this have been around for years. They just haven't been made recently. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all I got to say. All right. Well, then, uh, here's my last piece of news from Variety.com by way of Justin Kroll, and this is an exclusive for them as of January 29th. Tom Hanks to play Mr. Rogers in biopic, You Are My Friend. Yes, TriStar Pictures has landed worldwide distribution rights to the Mr. Rogers biopic, You Are My Friend, with Tom Hanks attached to play the iconic TV personality. Diary of a Teenage Girl director Marielle Heller is helming this pick from a script by Micah Fitzerman Blue and Noah Harpster. Quote, I'm thrilled to be making You Are My Friend, and quote, Heller said, quote, the script knocked me out with its message of kindness and its exploration of the human spirit. As a mother, I am so inspired by the teachings of Fred Rogers, and as a human, I am in awe of his life's work. I, qu- I can't wait to bring his story to the public and be a part of such a thoughtful, smart group of people who are all coming together to make this film, which truly feels to me like an antidote to our very fractured culture, end quotes there. Uh, the film is inspired by a real-life friendship between Fred Rogers and award-winning journalist Tom Junod. Uh, in the story, a cynical journalist begrudgingly accepts an assignment to write a profile piece on the beloved icon and finds his perspective on life transformed. Uh, I'm going to stop there. That is a little less than the first half of that article, so I definitely encourage you to go and read the rest. Again, from Variety.com, an exclusive for them via Justin Kroll. Tom Hanks to play Mr. Rogers in biopic. You are my friend, Tim! Tim, thoughts? Yeah, I I think it's interesting. Although this role or this movie, for some reason, it's bringing back flashbacks of what's the Tom Hanks movie with him and... Oh, Saving Mr. Banks? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried about the same thing. Oh, my God. It's like, yes, you're definitely speaking to me now. I'm sure it's going to be a good movie, and I'm sure it's going to be a fine performance, but I have a feeling it's going to be either Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers, but I, I just can't see this movie being like a Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour, where it's a complete transformation, because then that would be a little too much for a documentary biopic of Mr. Rogers. So I think it just all depends on how they're going to handle it, which will kind of sway my opinion, I suppose. On the one hand, I, I'm totally with you, because on the one hand, Tom Hanks is a phenomenal actor. But on the other hand, it's not like he blew the blew, blew the world up when he played Disney. And I think, I don't know, man, I just really think that playing Rogers, I, and I think that's why they're going to Hanks, is because it's such an iconic role uh, that you need someone who you can see past rogers and when you see the actor you still think nice guy and sure yeah that's kind of i think maybe that's why they're leaning into tom hanks but i i gotta say i'm not convinced that he's right for the part and that's what worries me the most so i, I would love to be wrong though i would love to be wrong is there somebody else that you can see play mr rogers god um jeez <laughs> tom no. hardy Okay. <laughs> Let the neighborhood begin. Um, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson as Mr. Roger, Mr. Roger Jones. I don't know. Honestly, I mean, I could see Gary Oldman doing it. I really could. I could see Gary Oldman do it. Um, oh, let's 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 play the actors currently in their sixties. So yeah, you get Tom Hanks. Daniel Day-Lewis, Jeff Bridges, Bill Murray, uh, Liam Neeson, <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones, Tom, Bruce Willis. Tommy Lee Jones would be the cantankerous Mr. Rogers. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Michael Keaton, Richard Gere, Kevin Costner, Mel Gibson, Ed Harris, Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein! Okay, come on. I could see Kevin Klein doing it. I could also see Jeremy I can, Irons. I can see Michael Keaton doing it. Uh, you know, of. I would like to see Michael Keaton do it, but I, I don't know that he I, I don't know he could play it down enough. I don't know if he could do that. Um I could see Jeremy Irons doing it. I could also see William H. Macy because he's just one of my favorite oh, shit. actors. That's another good one too. Yeah. So yeah, so there's definitely a few people out there at least that I could that I could see doing it. So anyway. But time will tell. Time will tell. So uh yeah so i guess that that is the end of my news does that bring us to the end of the news i think so too it is the end of the news very very good then let us go ahead and get to the movies what do you say sir move it up here we go it's the movies <laughs> Spilt my fucking laquoi on my pant. Oh my god damn it. Sorry, dude. You need to take a second? No, I'm just. I'm wearing boxer shorts and now my <laughs> weeder is all covered in laquoi. Like drenched. I mean, I know what laquoi is, but still. When... <laughs> my weeder is all covered in laquoi. <sighs> There's a sentence you don't hear every day.
All right. So where do you want to start there, Tim? We've got we've got a bunch of them. Yeah, so we have uh, Wonder, Victoria, and Abdul, Molly's Game, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, and Call Me By Your Name. I, I think I'm going to try to go with the least favorite again. Oh, shit. Um, and I, I'm going to see if maybe, maybe this is your least favorite. I'm going to say Victoria and Abdul? Uh, yeah, I think it's tied for my least favorite. With Wonder? As a matter of fact, it is. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting off strong. So, yeah. Well, then I guess let's do it here. Victoria and Abdul. I'm 81 years of age and have almost a billion citizens. I've been in office 62 years the longest-serving monarch in history. <clears throat> Have we finished? Mr. Kareem, you will travel to England. You will serve the Queen. But whatever you do, you must not look at Her Majesty. There's another famine in India and more trouble in Ireland. Prime Minister, you really are terribly depressing. Yes. Jelly, Your Majesty. <laughs> I suddenly feel a great deal better. Do you like your new Scottish costumes? They're very scratchy. Everything in Scotland is scratchy. <laughs> what can they be talking about? What is a mango? The queen of fruit. I would like a mango. They only grow in India. Well, I'm empress of India, so I have one cent. I thought she was supposed to be dying. No one really knows what it's like to be queen. Bertie. Mother. Are you spying on me? I'm so lonely. What is the point, Abdul? Service, Your Majesty. I would like Mr. Abdul to teach me. But he's an Indian, Your Majesty. And I am the Queen of England. I will have whatever help I require. You've upset the order of everything. Mother, you are bringing the monarchy to crisis. Prime Minister. Your Majesty. You will drop this Indian peasant, or we will have you certified insane. Abdul has risen on his own merits. He too was a servant. Now, he's my friend. I haven't been as happy as this for years. A gift from the Indian Empire. What is it? A mango. It's off. Sir Henry, this mango is off. All right, so you heard it there. 2017 British biographical comedy drama films directed by Stephen Frears and written by Lee Hall. Uh, film is based on the book of the same name by Shrabani Basu about the real-life relationship between Queen Victoria of the United Kingdom and her Indian Muslim servant, Abdul Karim. Um, so, yeah, stars Judy Dench, uh, Ali Fazal, Eddie Izzard, Adil Akhtar, Paul Higgins, and Michael Gamden, among other peeps. And... Okay, here's my problem with this movie. It's not. It, it's it's worthy of its nomination. I believe costume design is what it got. So I mean, it's it's yeah, a beautiful costume makeup. There we go. So beautiful period piece. Fine. Uh, Judy Dench is obviously returning to her role um, as Queen Victoria, and so that's that's great. You know, clearly she is an amazing actress. Um, and uh, Ali Fazal does a fantastic job as well. My problem with this movie is that 
You guys know me. I'm not a politically correct kind of guy. However, blatantly ignoring the realities of the world we live in also kind of bothers me somewhat. And this movie doesn't really do much other than present a pretty one-sided case for, you know, British imperialism. Whether it means to or not, it still kind of does. And I, I just don't think the tone is right. Um, it, it's, it's well acted, um, well shot. It's just not a good story. Um, I, I think that the elements of the story about, you know, the friendship that developed, I think that's cool. Um, I just think there might have been better ways to explore it in, than in the manner than it was. Um, and and that's why I, I just I don't think it's a really good story, and I really and truly don't think it's a story for 2017 and beyond. Uh, I think this movie would have been well received, better received um, 20 years ago. <laughs> Ironically, as it's an unofficial sequel to a movie that came out 20 years ago. So there you have it. Uh, but at the end of the day, I give this one 3.5. It's a decent flick. Uh, well acted, well shot, just really not the story that anybody needs to see anymore. I want you to teach me Indian. Indian? Hindu, whatever it is you speak. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. But why would you like to learn Hindi, Your Majesty? Well, I'm Empress of India. Look. I've ordered a book. I want you to give me private lessons. I can't teach you Hindi, Your Majesty. Why have I not? You are the Empress of India. You should learn Urdu, the language of the Mughals. There are a thousand languages in India, but Urdu is the most noble. In Hindi, you write like this. Hmm? Huh? But in Urdu, you write like this. Main Rani Hoon. I am the queen. I see. Main? Main. Rani? Rani. Rani. Hoon. 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 Tim, what do you got, sir? So Victoria and Abdul is directed by the great English director Stephen Frears. Stephen Frears, of course, directed High Fidelity, Dirty Pretty Things, Miss Henderson Presents, The Queen. Most recently, he did uh, Florence Foster Jenkins and uh, Philomena. And I I think we covered the program. I I, I don't remember, uh, but that was the one about Lance Armstrong. You can never really go wrong with a Stephen Frears movie. Stephen Frears has his own type of movies. If uh, A lot of them are biographical, and a number of them have this just whimsy to it. Like, the pacing is whimsical. The characters have a little paunch to them and a comedic quality. And it seems like all the characters that you're supposed to care a little bit about have wit, And it's quite refreshing to watch, but you can always come to expect that in a Stephen Frears flick. His films, they either work 100% of the time or 70% of the time. And this one, Victorian Abdul, is a 70%er. 
It's an interesting story with beautiful costumes and wonderful performances by Judi Dench and Ali Fazal, who both keep this film on track despite trudging down very familiar and genre-expected territory. I mean, the drama is dramatic, and the light-hearted English comedy is expected and was delivered. And what you expect going into this movie, more than likely you're going to receive it, but nothing else more. No hard-hitting drama, no bursting original laughter either. And I, that's why I give this movie a three. It's pleasant to watch. And there's nothing wrong with a pleasant movie. That's why we have our TNT movies or TBS movies or movies we watch while we fold clothes, you know. You can watch the movie for a little while, go to the bathroom for 20 minutes, come back, and, you know, it's still the same. And But yet you don't mind catching the next showing of it right afterwards. You know, it's it's pretty to look at. So three out of five, not much more I can say about it. Fair enough, sir. So I guess we're turning to wonder then? Wonder me this and wonder me that. Let's go talk about wonder. It's a wonder that wonder, that we wonder for wonder. That wonder received a shit ton of money at the box office. For which I'll explain right after this. My name is Augie Pullman. Next week, I start fifth grade. And since I've never been to real school before, I'm pretty much totally petrified. I'll see you later. You don't want to walk up with your parents because it's not cool. But you're cool. I know I am, but technically most dads aren't. Neither are these helmets. Dear God, please make them be nice to I know I'm not an ordinary 10-year-old kid. I've had 27 surgeries. They've helped me to breathe, to see, to hear without a hearing aid, but none of them have made me look ordinary. Incubator, bunch of murders. Oh, and this is an eraser. You know what an eraser is, right? Look at his face. I've never seen anything that ugly in my life. If I looked like him, I'd swear. I'd put a hood over my face. I know you don't always like it, but I love it. It's my son's face. You are not ugly, Augie. You just have to say that because you're my mom. Because I'm your mom, it counts the most. Because I know you the most. Hi. You don't have to do this. I don't know what you're talking about, Augie. You don't have to pretend is all I'm saying. Augie! Okay, I'm really sorry. Why are you sitting here then? Because I want some nice friends for a change. Me too. Who is it that I aspire to be? That is the question that we should be asking ourselves all the time. Hey, Jack, come sit here. In a sec. I'd like to be able to control the weather. That would be your superpower? That sounds pretty lame. What would you do? I'd be invisible. You're the toughest kid in that school. Show them. You can't blend in when you were born to stand out. You ever thought about having plastic surgery? Dude, this is after plastic surgery. It takes a lot of work to look this good. All right. Yes. Wonder. 2017 American drama film directed by Stephen Chbosky and written by Jack Thorne, Stephen Conrad, and Stephen Chbosky based on the 2012 novel of the same name by R.J. Palacio. There you go. And that's why it made such a buttload of money at the box office. This has been like the elementary slash junior high school book of the fucking year for the last five years. Um, I know because when I go and read at my daughter's school, I am reading this book to multiple classes. Really? Yes. It I've is, never heard of the book. I, I, myself, I in the same boat as you, sir. I'm like, what the heck is this? And, oh, man, my oldest daughter's like, oh, dad. Yes, da, 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 da. I'm like, okay, whoa. So we ended up seeing it. And, yeah, because we had to see it, you know, 
her friends had seen it and they've read the book in class and every, so yeah. So uh basically movie is about a kid named uh Augie who has a severe deformity uh, a disease he refers to it as um mandibulofacial dysostosis um and it basically in the book is what they believe is actually uh Treacher Collins syndrome for whatever it's worth uh, for those who are into those kinds of things. But basically, he has been homeschooled. He's had a ton of surgery. Um, he clearly doesn't look normal. Think, you know, Eric Stoltz mask from the 80s, if you will. And he's getting put into a private school for the first time. And he has to overcome all of the things all regular kids have to overcome, on top of which having the physical deformities. And as usual, shenanigans ensue. Uh movie, of course, stars Julia Roberts, Owen Wilson, and Jacob Tremblay, who we last really heard from in Room. Um, and amongst other people like Isabella v- uh, Vitovic, uh, Mandy Patinkin, and David D- or David Diggs. The movie is a very well-acted and charming, heartwarming film. But that's all uh, it, it's you know it, it's it doesn't really do a whole lot to shake your foundations in uh in in dramatic acting and overcoming odds and obstacles and the power of the triumph of human spirit and all that kind of stuff right um but given its target audience it also doesn't have to Given that a large percentage of the kids who've seen this movie uh, have read the book, um, it really doesn't have to. And that's okay, because it's still a decent film and an entertaining film, um, as far as it goes. And that's all it needed to be. So I give this one a 3.5 as well. Um, it's a decent flick, well acted, well shot, and that's all you can say. What do you got there, Tim? Question, were you, uh, since this movie is nominated for makeup, mm-hmm. were you distracted at all by his makeup, by the prosthetics, or did you actually accept it as the character's true face? Not really knowing anything about either Treacher Collins Syndrome or this manufactured disorder that they have, I pretty much just went with it. It didn't bother me one way or the other. I don't want to say it bothered me in the trailer, but I I knew it was Jacob Tremblay, and I knew I was watching somebody perform with a prosthetic on. And I got to give it to Jacob Tremblay. I mean, there's a reason why they casted him, because he is a sweet kid, and he really knows how to pull the pull an audience in with nuance, with line delivery. I mean, he just absolutely nailed it. And it was it was sweet to watch, um, though I did not think it was a great film. I did, however, write down a couple questions that I wanted to ask myself after watching this movie, or actually that I thought of while watching this movie that I wanted to revisit afterwards. Does the movie accurately represent children who are misunderstood and experience emotional and psychological emotions due to a physicality? And does it work well enough to get a lesson across because the film itself is somewhat sanitized? I I think what the movie was trying to do, they were trying to keep it a family film. And within the confines of making it a family film, 
I think the movie did well. However, I do think they could have less sanitized the movie. I think they could have gone a little bit deeper. Kids especially can handle it if you take a look at any Disney Pixar movie that has come, or not any Disney Pixar movie, but a number of Disney Pixar movies that have come out. But what, what do you think? Do you think it was too sanitized? I guess, or? let me ask you. Well, first of all, the book is a YA book. And when I say YA, I mean like literally for, say, 9 to 12-year-olds. And this movie is based off that book. So it is shot off the material that is written for younger kids. Um, so I guess my question is, what do you mean by sanitized exactly? Because I, I mean, and honestly, I, you know, I, I volunteer at my kids' elementary school a lot. And I've kind of, you know, granted I'm already hard to miss, but I, I've kind of become pretty well known um, at the campus. And kids will come up to me all the time. Oh, hey, Mr. Quinton, da, 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 whatever. And when I see the... When when I see the culture of acceptance that that they're really building, um, it's and and don't get me wrong, it's not all kumbaya, everybody's friends kind of thing, but um, they they really do strive to instill the idea of being accepting of others and not just immediately dismissing someone for being different. And if I didn't see it myself. I wouldn't believe it. And I think that's the, that's the difference because I, I get the idea of what you're, I think I get what you're saying with the sanitized thing. That's why I want to make sure I understand it. But I mean, these kids at these schools today, at least, you know, in, in my limited sample, they, they do kind of lean into it now. They do try to, they wouldn't stand for that behavior. I, I get that, but it's just within the confines of this movie, things happen. And seem like they're easily resolved. The kid, Augie, he's very likable. And you understand, this is a test completely to his performance and how the movie is handled. You feel bad for him because you don't want to see him have to experience sadness or be sad because of how other kids look at him. But then as you watch the movie, you realize, like, you know, he's just, he's a normal kid. And he's okay with it and he's realizing that. But there's still that psychological aspect to it. There's that one psychological aspect of human emotion that gets left out of movies like this that, to me, I think is very important. There is a deeper sadness. I don't think sadness is the right word. I actually uh, went to all this movie last night, and I was trying to think of a better word. But there has to be, there, There's a, I guess I could just say an emotion. There has to be that deeper emotion there that never really gets resolved or overcome until the end of the movie. Because you feel bad for him, and then you're told not to feel bad. And you're like, okay. But, you know, you still feel bad for him. You want to, you want to see him do well. He's a nice kid. He deserves to be liked. And all these other kids are punks. But how these other kids are portrayed, that they're obviously going to receive their just desserts. Either the kid, the punk's going to be put in his place, or the punk is going to open his eyes and be nice, realize his faults and be nice. Like, you already know that things are going to work out. And the movie touches on this emotion, especially, I think, with the sister. 
the sister had this touching relationship with her grandmother and the grandmother tells her that because with Augie, Augie has a lot of angels looking down on him and to the sister, you know, you've got me, you got your grandmother, you're my favorite because there's that connection between her and the grandmother that, uh, that she never had with anybody else in the family. Well, you think that's going to carry through to the movie, but then there's that moment with her and her mom, Julia Roberts, because, well, for those of you who haven't seen the movie or forgot, the grandmother's not around, only in that flashback or two. The mother still realized that and wants to spend time with her. You know, and, like, it plays around with a lot of different interesting emotions, but it feels like it's to just progress the story, then to be something completely 100% meaningful. And, again, it could be because it's a young adult novel. You know, I'm sure... There's some that are more emotionally drawn, but maybe more so melodramatic than not. And I could see them with wonder if they were to make the movie less sanitized. And again, that's my word. It could have been melodramatic, but I don't think it would have been melodramatic because you had such strong characters and you had such strong performances that could have really gotten to the emotional core, except brush past the emotional core multiple times throughout the movie. I don't know if... Any of that cleared up any question you had. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I get it. I get it. I think, yeah. I really just think it's um, expected culture versus uh, a lot more of the versus, I don't want to say reality. That's not the right word. But I, I think it's just expectation versus the, 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 the actual outcome. And I can see, uh, but I can see where that would affect the critique. So. Fair enough. So I guess so. Are I so you're still at three on Wonder, or are we less than a three? Oh no, I'm at a three point five on Wonder. Oh, okay. Well, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good movie. I'm glad to see it made, and it's not super melodramatic. All right. Well, where are we going from here, sir? Now we're getting into the, in my opinion, the really good flicks. So I don't want. Whenever I say that this is my third least favorite flick of the week. It's still a very good movie in my mind, but I'm going to say Molly's Game. Was that your third number three pick? Yes. All right. Molly's <laughs> Game it is. <laughs> Here we go, folks. Molly's Game. I'm Molly Bloom. Do you know about me? This is a true story. You ran games in L.A. for roughly eight years? Yeah. And then you ran games in New York for roughly two. I haven't run a game in over two years, not to spoil the ending. But that's when the government raided my game and took all of my money, assuming all of it was made illegally, which it wasn't. In this room, you couldn't buy your win. Come on, You couldn't buy me, and you couldn't buy a seat at the table. Movie stars, athletes, billionaires, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You're not taking percentage of the pot? No. Keep it that way, because you don't want to break the law when you're breaking the law. Am I breaking the law? Not really. We're able to find out for sure, aren't we? Laws are written down. You had meetings in L.A. about your book and life rights. I did. You spent eight years running the world's most exclusive, glamorous, and decadent man cave. In the office? Guarantee the publishers certain elements, and I can get you a million and a half. What kind of elements? I passed. I'm just curious as to why you passed on what would appear to be the only way out you have. You have to use real names. Creative differences. The law that I'm accused of breaking defines gambling as betting on games of chance. Yes. Poker isn't a game of chance. Poker is a game of skill. Why does a young woman who, at 22, has a gold-plated resume, why does she run 
poker games. Your risk is nuts. You're gonna get blown up. You got 2.8 billion on the street right now. That money should be in your hands. Just how deep into the Russian mob were you? There's a new offer on the table. Complete immunity. We hand over the hard drive. You've seen what's on those hard drives. Families, lives, careers will be ruined. Why are you in this alone? Where are the people you're protecting by not telling the whole story? It's not their names. I'm protecting Charlie. It's mine. Tell me why! Because it's all I have left! It's my name. All right. 2017 American crime drama film written and directed by Aaron Sorkin in his directorial debut. Based on the memoir Molly's Game, from Hollywood's elite to Wall Street's billionaire boys club, my high stakes adventure in the world of underground poker by Molly Bloom. Man, that's a mouthful. I can see why they shortened that to Molly's Game. Uh, basically, yeah. So stars Jessica Chastain, Idris Elba, Kevin Costner, Michael Sarah, Jeremy Strong, Chris O'Dowd, and Bill Camp. Um, and yeah, so you've got a woman who starts off as a skier and ends up losing her career, tries to find herself, ends up running poker games, and really starting to run poker games and then of course from the mighty heights we fall shenanigans ensue etc etc um all right so this movie is definitely fun i i just uh it's it's fun it's got lots of great um intrigue but what really holds this uh what really holds the movie up on uh, in its entirety is that i think it's just extremely convoluted in in its attempt to go in in its attempt to go as deep as it possibly can into the source material and i think this is something that is a problem with aaron sorkin um not so much a problem with the portrayals um i think it just gets muddled and loses itself and ultimately it becomes forgettable for it i, I this is not the kind of movie that you're going to be talking about in 10 years. Um, I, I think that people, it will always have its fans. I think it is a good movie, but I just don't think that um, it, it really gets, I, it, it's not the high octane thriller that you're expecting. It's not the high stakes poker that you're seeing. It's just this kind of, um, overwrought attempt to bring melodrama to something that, uh, could truly be, uh, extremely tense and, you know, diverse in its ap applications on someone who's actually trying to run this game while losing money, while getting into drugs, while trying to maintain a lifestyle, while trying to avoid the cops and then the feds and jail and, you know, and still stay on top and still survive. I mean, sounds great on paper. It looks great in a trailer, but it becomes muddled too quickly, especially by the two thirds point. Um, and you're kind of left with just the banality of it all. And I don't think that's what the book or this woman's life should have, should leave you to. Um, so I give this one a 3.75 and I'm really resting this on the writing and really I'm putting this in Sorkin's lap. I'm not a fan of his direction for this film and not too hot on the writing, but it is a very intriguing story and it is exceptionally well acted. Um, so I give this with 3.75 out of five. You disapprove of me. 
It's not personal. It feels personal when you chat up every other guy at the game except me. When you stay late for a drink with JT, but never... Have you visited his Oscar? I think it's bolted on the hood of his car. It's noticeable. When you go out of your way to demonstrate that you have no interest in me. You did the same thing to Dean. These guys want to play cards with me, not you. Be that as it may. You know who the biggest winner in this game is? It's you. You know who the second biggest winner is? Look, it's you. What are you taking home? 10,000 a night now? That is my business, literally. Between you, the dealers, and the servers, you're taking a lot of money out of this game. Not as much as I'm bringing to it. That 10,000 is 10,000 that doesn't go in my pocket. Again, my money. Your money is my money. Is it? I think we should talk about capping your tips. Tim, this is a 4.25 star movie for me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, given it being written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, he can really overwrite dialogue in a script. And because this was written and directed by him, I was kind of worried about it. Um, but seeing how... But after seeing this movie, it seemed like he can actually handle his own dialogue quite well. And maybe he knows how to... Uh, project it to where maybe it feels and flows more naturally than feeling or looking or coming across as pompous and overwritten. But the movie does at times feel overwritten. Closer to the end, it does when it's trying to wrap it up because a lot of the movie, you know, her dialogue, especially when it's uh, whenever she's narrating or or doing flashbacks or whatever, it's very it's very quick. It's very quippy. It's back and forth. She sounds sm too smart for her own good. Therefore, when you see her make decisions, I don't want to say that you you find yourself wondering why you care about her because I, I that was why one of the reasons why I'm surprised Jessica uh, Chastain isn't nominated for best actress because despite all the issues, all the problems that she faced. She was actually not that bad of a person. Like, she was trying to do good, and I actually felt bad for her. And ultimately, the movie worked. I know I was going more in a negative direction there for a little while and kind of switched gears on you there. But I think it's more importantly, you're just saying that Jessica Chastain just really did a great job at creating a character that, that made a lot of missteps, believably. You know, she believably portrayed that to where it made the entire movie or it bonded this whole entire movie together because it relies on that tenseness, that intensity of what's going to happen to Molly Bloom. And by the end of it, you can see how her name became a legend within some groups. I think it's a very good movie. I think uh, until she has to have that realization with Kevin Costner, with her dad at the ice skating rink, I think that really stopped the movie, you know, put the brakes down. Full stop. If you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. She keeps talking about her dad and how he was a hard ass. And then when she really needs help, instead of pulling herself by the bootstraps, keeping her head up, uh, her dad suddenly appears and he suddenly becomes a voice of consciousness. And he gives her the whole, what, she's like, I'm going to give you a lifetime's worth of psychotherapy in one minute and 30 seconds you know and like when you don't believe he would have done that at all throughout the movie because the basis as to why she was the strong and powerful woman you know a base layer of that was because of her father being the way he was and seeing him come back there at the end was just completely unbelievable and uncharacteristic and i really don't think she needed that uh did that happen in real life i have no idea but i think that was definitely one of the things that really un that helped unpolish 
the movie because it starts off too quippy and too a little a little pompous in the in the in the overwriting department, but it evens out and becomes something quite polished until the end. Uh, but it's still a great film. I highly recommend you check it out. Molly's Game four point two five out of five. What do you got? Where are we going next? These next three movies, I love them. I love, 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 love them. Love, love, love them. But I'm going to say the next movie is going to be Lady Bird. Wow, very good. And for the record, this is very tough because starting at Molly's Game, literally they're all separated by a quarter point. <laughs> so, <laughs> or a quarter star. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, wow. So you you you, you have done well young padawan learner you're not seeing all the beads of sweat coming down like i'm worried if i'm gonna get one wrong the floor is gonna open up underneath me and i'm gonna oh i'm sorry you needed 13 tickets to live no just for fun i'm not going to tell you which is which but obviously molly's game was 3.75 out of five and so they're all separated by a quarter point so they go four 4.25 and 4.5 um so I'm going to, I'm not going to, I can't fault you if you mix one up because they're clearly all in a class that are really good. Anyway, yeah. So Lady Bird, let's talk. I hate California. I want to go to the East Coast. I want to go where culture is, like How New in the York, world did I raise such or at least snow. Connecticut or New Hampshire, where writers live in the get woods. Get into those schools anyway. Mom, you should just go to City College. You know, with your work ethic, just go to City College and then to jail and then back to City College and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything. Lady Bird, is that your given name? Yeah. Why is it in quotes? I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me. Lady Bird always says that she lives on the wrong side of the tracks, but I always thought that that was like a metaphor. But there are actual train tracks. What she did was very baller. It was very anarchist. Put the magazine back! <laughs> she has a big heart, your mom. She's warm, but she's also kind of scary. You can't be scary and warm. I think you can. Your mom is. So, you're not interested in any Catholic colleges? No way. I want schools like Yale, but not Yale because I probably couldn't get in. <laughs> you definitely couldn't get in. Does mom hate me? If you're tired, we can sit down. I'm not tired. You were dragging your feet. You are so infuriated. Please stop yelling. I'm not yelling. Oh, it's perfect. Do you love it? You both have such strong personalities. When is a normal time to have sex? You're having sex? I'm ready. Just wanted it to be special. Why? You're gonna have so much unspecial sex in your life. We're afraid that we will never escape our past. Whatever we give you, it's never enough. It's never enough. It is enough. We're afraid of what the future will bring. We're afraid we won't be loved. You can't do anything unless you're the center of attention. We won't be liked. Yeah, well, you know your mom's tits, they're totally fake. She made one bad decision in 19. Two bad decisions. And we won't succeed. I want you to be the very best version of yourself that you can be. What if this is the best version? What I'd really like is to be on Math Olympiad. But math isn't something you're terribly strong in. That we know of yet. Or, or listen? Well, we already did the listening. Because it's a 2017 American comedy oh. drama film, <laughs> written and directed by Greta Gerwig, starring uh, Cersei Ronan, Laurie Metcalf, Tracy Letts, Lucas Hedges, Timothy uh, Chalamet, Beanie Feldstein, and Stephanie McKinley, Henderson, and Lois Smith. Uh, it's basically a coming-of-age story of a high school senior, senior and her turbulent relationship 
with her mother. Um, and that's pretty much, I mean, that, that really does kind of sum it all up. Um, all right. This movie gets a four star rating and the reason why it doesn't get higher than a four, which obviously this is a really, really good movie and you should completely see this movie. This movie has the polar opposite effect for me as it, as wonder did for Tim in that I feel like it is purposely overly convoluted and purposely overwrought so that you see all these burgeoning aspects of life um, happening to one person in a fashion that it wouldn't necessarily happen to one person. One person having all these exact unique problems that just flow one into the other, into the other, into the other. I'm not saying it's not possible, and I'm not saying it's never happened. I'm just saying that generally it's not very likely. And when you are trying to put this great spin and original spin on the coming of age style, and you're leaning so heavily into these acting performances, which are well done. And, uh, Cersei and Laurie are definitely deserving of their Academy Award nominations. Um, I just need to not be snapped out of my reverie by the fact that all of these things keep happening to the same person. And it, it, it just smacks of televised serialism instead of a truly flowing narrative. And that's why it gets a four. I think that maybe if they had dropped a couple of the B-plots, I don't know, maybe the theater guy who struggles with coming out. Maybe um, the prom aspect when she's, you know, trying to make up with the, the friend that she lied to. Um, it, there are so many different kinds of threads that are being pulled that, you're kind of like, maybe if you had just done one or two of these things, maybe even just one or two less, um, you could have built even more upon this just absolutely outstanding relationship dynamic, even though the relationship itself is kind of shitty, um, that was ever present there. Not to mention, maybe you could have built on, um, her maybe you could have built a little bit more on her relationship with the dad you know um that and so that's why it gets a four it's a really good movie you're definitely going to enjoy it but it's definitely not without its flaws hey i i like your band uh with jonah ruiz len fence new uh well I, I saw your Thanksgiving show. My name's Ladybird. It's weird you shake hands. Yeah. I'm friends with Jenna, and she's always talking about how great your band is, so I wanted to check it out. Yeah, Jenna's all tight. Yeah. Maybe I'll see you at the Deuce or something, huh? Sure. See you at the Deuce. Hey, I'm not paying you to flirt. I wasn't flirting. Wish she had been. Four out of five. What do you got there, Tim? You know what? I've just realized something so fucking stupid. Uh oh. The Oscar nominations article I'm looking at. Uh huh. They're the fucking. They're the person's fucking predictions. 
not the actual nominations that came out. <laughs> God. Oh, okay. Hold up. I'm going to be pissed off if Chastain is actually. And nope. Yep. She still didn't get nominated. What were we talking about again? Oh, yeah. Lady, Lady Bird. Bird. So I'm kind of looking at the spreadsheet where I wrote an initial review of the movie after I saw it. And it came out November 19th. And I went to go see it. Oh, no, no. Sorry. I went to go see it on November 19th, but it was uh, released on November 3rd. I think it was a limited release. And my only review was that it was an excellent coming-of-age film for the modern era, in parentheses, for the intellectual millennial. And I kind of stand by that, because what I like about the movie, it is based in Sacramento. And I am not from Sacramento, but my SO is from Sacramento. Therefore, I have visited Sacramento uh, 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 many, many of times. And a lot of these locations I've been to, and I get a sense and get a feel of exactly what she's talking about, where she wants to live in one of those big houses in the fabulous forties. Well, that's an actual neighborhood called the fabulous forties, not too far away from where my SO's family lives. And it is definitely kind of the ritzy nicer area where, you know, people I think wish they can live in. And I, I got a lot of the references. However, it was more visual references that one can experience and feel and maybe even either duplicate in one's mind with the feels and references you, that you can make within your own hometown. It's a growing up tale for this young woman in Sacramento, but can easily be applied to a growing up, uh, a coming of age tale for somebody in Texas, somebody in Houston, you know, somebody in, in Los Angeles. Because the main thing that the movie itself is trying to get across is the idea that where we come from, our hometown, is what makes us. And as much as we want to get away from our hometown, we realize later on that it is what made us. It is what we look back on. Because we wouldn't be this same person if it wasn't for the home we came from. That is the underlying message of this movie. It's not necessarily 100% about growing up, and becoming a young woman in a Catholic, private Catholic school in Sacramento, in, in suburban Sacramento. It's not just about that. It's about growing up in your hometown, despising it, and then leaving it only to realize that it wasn't that bad. And there's something incredibly bittersweet about that. I really jived with what this movie was trying to accomplish. Uh, it does dabble in sex. But it approaches it in a very mature, thoughtful way. The lessons that Cersei's character, Lady Bird, learns or finds herself facing are things that are familiar, but handled in a not-so-dramatic or not-so-over-comedic way, but in a very heartfelt, true-to-life way, because we are faced with many obstacles. But sometimes it takes three or four other obstacles that we must face before we can overcome that first obstacle. And I think that's the approach at this movie that Greta Gerwig was trying to take. It's a very good movie. I'm not doing it any justice whatsoever, so I hope giving it a 4.5 out of 5, and Matt giving it a 4 out of 5, will be enough for you to check it out. It's a great film. And just, again, importantly, I know a lot of you like Days and Confused. 
even though Days to Confuse takes place in rural Austin, Texas, <laughs> if you're from New York, if you're from LA, you could still enjoy the movie because it's not about where the movie takes place. It's about the characters. Not everybody is different in every state, in every city, at every school. There are people just like us everywhere. And there's something quite lovely about it. So I think for this being Greta Gerwig's directorial debut is pretty outstanding. 4.5 out of 5. Two left. <sighs> All right. Pressure's on. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to... Okay. My favorite. My favorite movie out of the bunch is Call Me By Your Name. Therefore... Woo! Congratulations. Oh. We have a winner. <sighs> and that's the show! <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I- I'm excited. Okay, great. Let's, uh, yeah. All right. Phantom Thread, then. All right, guys, here we go. Phantom Thread. You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the garments. Things that only I knew were there. Secrets. Good morning. Will you have dinner with me? Yes. I feel as if I've been looking for you for a very long time. You look beautiful. Very beautiful. I have things I want to do. Things I simply cannot do without you. Reynolds has made my dreams come true, and I have given him what he desires most in return. (laughs) Every piece of me. Why are you not married? (laughs) Her arrival has cast a very long shadow. She's barely looked at you this evening, has she? May I warn you of something? My brother can feel cursed that love is doomed for him. I don't like the fabric. Maybe one day you'll change your taste. Maybe I like my own taste. Just enough to get you into trouble. Perhaps I'm looking for trouble. Stop! There is an air of quiet death in this house. You're not cursed. You're loved by me. Stop playing this game. What game? What precisely is the nature of my game? All your rules and your clothes and all this money and everything is a game. This was an ambush. Stop! Are you sent here to ruin my evening? And possibly my entire life? Stop it! Whatever you do, do it carefully. All right, 2017 American drama film written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, set in London's couture world in the 1950s, and basically stars Daniel Day-Lewis as a dressmaker who falls in love with a young waitress played by Vicky Kreps. Kreps? Kreps? There we go. (laughs) Couple's relationship vacillates between affection and distance until they finally learn to live with one another's differences. Uh, And again, this is supposedly... Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's final film role. Um, all right. The only problem with this movie is, and, and it gets a 4.25. As you guys know, they're climbing up by quarter star points here. Um, this movie is beautiful. It's well shot. It's well written. I think the only problem is that... Th- that reference to uh, vacillates, right? Um, 
I think the shift, it seems to me that Paul Thomas Anderson, this was a deliberate choice by him. That vacillation often feels unnatural. As it should when people are coming, you know, when you kind of feel like it's unhinged and people are vying for the top spot in a relationship instead of working together to make a partnership. And they allow those idiosyncrasies to come to the fore and dominate. So you get this feeling that it's erratic. And yet that very erratic nature causes it to be a little bit uneven and sometimes even causes the movie in its, shall we say, downtime to be slow on occasion. And that's why it gets a 4.25. So other than that, I can't say enough good things about it. You must see this movie. And honestly, you run the risk when you're running a two-hour and ten-minute movie. You do run the risk of it being slow in parts. And that that's its only flaw. It's really its only flaw. And I feel like it was intentional, um, which is fine as an artistic choice uh, and a design choice for the film. I just just didn't didn't always resonate with me. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just waiting around like an idiot for you. This was an ambush, Alma. To what purpose? This is not. I know it's not going as I expected. I, I didn't mean these things to come out. I'm sorry, but it was meant to be nice. Well, what did you expect? I wanted time with you. I wanted to have you to myself. You have me all the time. No. What are you talking about? I don't. I, there, there are always people around. And if not, then there's something between us. Something between us? Yes. What? Some... What? Distance. When did this happen? What happened to make you behave like this? Is it because you think I don't need you? Yes. I don't. Well, that's very predictable of you. 4.25, what do you got there, Tim? I saw this flick uh, actually a month ago, uh, a little over a month ago now. I saw it in 70 millimeter during its limited engagement or whatever. And I, I haven't really stopped thinking about the movie all through during the Christmas break. I just kept thinking about this flick, trying to tell everybody that I know to go and see this whenever it gets its uh, wide release. It's beautifully shot. If you have a chance to see it in 70 millimeter, go see it in 70 millimeter. Absolutely worth it. The detail of the framing of the costumes of the camera angles of the blocking. I mean, it's so detailed that I, I'm just, I'm excited that Paul Thomas Anderson is still a young director. I mean, we've got multiple decades of Paul Thomas Anderson uh, flicks to go, unless he decides to retire after two or three more movies. God, I hope not. I haven't been the biggest fan of his last few movies, although I did appreciate them greatly. This one just nearly gets it as being absolutely perfect Wonderful flick. The only fault is the one to punch at the end of the flick. I am excited to possibly discuss this movie in more detail uh, whenever we get to our two episodes of uh, Oscar predictions, uh, because by that time I will have rewatched this movie and The Shape of Water 
and uh, maybe a couple others uh, just as a refresher. Because I, I want to see if knowing what happens at the end or what the movie builds up to, if I'm willing to accept it more. But it's got to say something if the one thing that bothers me is the movie just barely misses the nail. I mean, I still give it a 4.75 out of 5. I mean, it's just a quarter of a star off. Do check it out. It's a fantastic movie. Let us know what you think. Daniel Day, if this is the movie that Daniel Day-Lewis goes out on, I'd be happy with that. It, it was a great performance, and honestly, probably my favorite performance of the year, hands down. Better than Winston Churchill, <laughs> better than Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill. Like This is acting at its finest. And I'm not even talking about just uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. But the two other supporting actresses, Leslie Manville and Vicky Creeps, or is it Vicky Creeps or Vicky Cripes or Crepes? Creeps? K-R-L-E-P-S. Creeps? I thought it was K-R-I-E-P-S. See, yeah, I guess I'm misreading it. Hang on. Well, Daniel, Leslie, and Vicky do outstanding <laughs> jobs <laughs> Ac- across the board. Like, there's not a bad seed in the bunch in the acting department. Okay, yes, there you go. Vicky Creeps, Cripes, K-R-I-E-P-S. That's what, okay, it was tricking yeah. me up because I wasn't reading it right. 4.75 out of 5. All right, well, then that leaves us with Call Me By Your Name. So World War Two, huh? Oh, no, this is World War One. Huh. You have to be at least 80 years old to have known any of them. Huh. I never even heard of the Battle of Piave. Battle of Piave is one of the most lethal battles in World War I. 170,000 people die. Is there anything you don't know? I know nothing, Oliver. Well, you seem to know more than anybody else around here. Well, if you only knew how little I know about the things that matter. What things that matter? You know what things? Why are you telling me this? Because I thought you should know. Because you thought I should know? Because I wanted you to know. 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 All right, 2017 romantic coming-of-age drama film directed by uh, Luca Guadagnino. Uh, and written by James Ivory, based on the 2007 novel of the same name by Andre Asiman. Um, so what we have here is um, Elio, a 17-year-old Jewish-American-Italian boy. He is um, li- he lives in Italy. His dad is a professor and always has a student come in every year during the summer to work um you know work as a graduate student and kind of help you know bolster their academic resume help the professor and also get to work on their own stuff um poor elio is always booted out of his room during these visits 
and has pretty much come to resent the whole process. And enter Oliver, who is this year's, you know, rising superstar. Elio is played by uh, Timothy Chalamet, and Oliver is played by Army Hammer. Um, and they are both exceedingly, you know, good-looking, young, vigorous guys who uh, have no problem with the ladies, and yet they also are um, very attracted to one another. And this definitely explores, and this is, this is also as a, as a huge issue in the movie, not in a, I guess the conflict of the movie, not as a problem. Uh, it, this movie is taking place in the early eighties. Um, and so naturally they can't exactly be wide open about their exploration of their feelings. Um, and so these two, and so basically you've got, um, Elio trying to maneuver this new relationship with an, you know, with, with an older, more experienced individual and at the same time still work out his own feelings about things. And as I always say, shenanigans ensue. Now, we make a lot of jokes about Peach, and yes, there's a Peach in this movie, and it is definitely striking. Uh, what happens to it? This is directly lifted from the source material, which is the book. So it's not just in there for shock value or anything else. This is, um, symbolism at its finest. So all jokes aside, it really is in there. Um, this movie is something that I really and truly believe has been a long time coming in cinema. Uh, we, we constantly bemoan the idea of, oh, it's nothing new. There's nothing new. There's nothing new. This really and truly is something new in that we're finally seeing stories that are being told and being told well, uh, about relationships and lifestyles that we haven't really been exposed to. And I'm not saying that they haven't been done well. Um, I know that it's a, slightly um you know out of left field aspect but we talked about tangerine uh in the last episode and everything um so it's not that it hasn't been done well it's not that we haven't seen representations or characterizations or caricatures um in the last really even 10 years that have been well done and have done a good service to these different communities but we're we're really starting to see it in burgeoning filmmaking that is making an impressive feat of really helping audiences connect, especially with the narrative of the film and its ultimate conclusion. Um, helps you understand that. I think, though, that as good cinema does, it also challenges you because... um uh, uh, you know, Tim will probably tell you a little bit, you know, about his struggles and trying to get people to see it. I know that for me, I, you know, it, it's, it is sometimes uncomfortable to see, you know, 
men really kissing and getting into it and everything like that. It's not disgusting. It's not, um, you know, anything to be angry or get, un- you know, get uh, uncomfortable with or anything, but it is different. And sometimes it can be difficult to watch. But these are the things that we need, especially as a society, to help us grow and to help us find new material, to help us find new things to watch. And it is so well acted and so well done. And this is why I'm saying I really feel like Army Hammer got shafted here, because while the movie is about Elio, his experience is nothing without a convincing and believable and relatable portrayal of Oliver and Army Hammer brings that and he brings it in spades. Um I I don't knock Timothy Chalamet's um uh nomination here. Um he he definitely adds that just that perfect touch of of soul to a believable to, to this believable role. The only problem is, I think, is that it, Elio is a little bit too overwrought. And I, and, and that might be something that's lost in the cultural translation. Um, maybe it is apt for a younger Italian man, especially in the early eighties, but it, it feels overwrought and it feels overdone. Um, and, and, and there are certain aspects, and I think it's meant to be, you know, those just outbursts of passion and everything. And it doesn't play as well, especially when you've already got existing conflicts in the primary relationship of the film that you then bring the same level of overwrought behavior and distress into the other aspects of it, um, into his other aspects as a kid being a kid and dealing with that stuff. Um, you know, and that is why I ultimately land on 4.5 out of five for this movie. I think this film is, is just about a landmark movie, um, as you can get. And yet at the same time, I don't think it's out of reach for anybody who really wants to sit down and see a good movie. Also, I'd like to say that uh, we have a criminally underrated performance by Michael Stuhlbarg, who plays Elio's dad. Uh, Look at this. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. From the dead. Was I out that long? It seemed like it. How, how are you? I, uh, well, rested now. Thank oh, you. Glad. Would you like some of espresso? I would love some. Thank you very much. This looks amazing. I didn't take your seat, did I? Oh, no, no, no. It's OK, please. Did you, did you recover from your trip? Uh, I did, yeah, big time. Thank you. Okay. I can show you around. That'd be great. Thank you. Um, is, there a, is there a bank in town? I'd love to start an account while I'm here. Oh, I'm an asset from Sorry. Uh, it happens to the best of us. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> None of our residents has ever had a local bank account. Really? Mm. Mm. Should I take him to Montaudier? I think they're closed for summer vacation. You try uh, crema. Crema? Grazie. Is this your orchard? These are Anello's trees. Oh, wow. Pesca, ciliegie, albicoque. Mm. Pomegranate. Mm. Melograno. Mm. 
Have another egg. That's oh, cute. <laughs> no, no, no. I know myself too well. If I have a second, I'm just gonna have a third and then a fourth, and then you're just gonna have to roll me out of here. I'll leave it there. 4.5 out of 5. Bring us home there, Tim. Yeah, too bad he was only nominated for Best Supporting Actor for a Golden Globe because you're absolutely right. He definitely deserved uh, Michael Stuhlbarg. He definitely deserved a Supporting Actor Oscar as well. I mean, even that that last scene, man, that monologue he gives that nicely, neatly ties... I mean, you could be watching this movie, you get caught up in what's unfolding on screen... And there, there could possibly that part of, be that part of you on the side going like, well, what's going to happen? We've seen this before. What does all this mean? This is just another uh, romance flick that doesn't end well. But then he gives this monologue, this very poignant monologue that really packs a wallop. And this is another aspect of, of uh, this is another thing I would love to talk about whenever we do our Oscar predictions because it's important, I think, to compare the movies, especially when it comes to best picture, what makes a best picture movie, because the movie has to be good from beginning to end. And I think, man, this is uh, this is definitely one of them, because, man, that ending monologue, everything that this movie is about, there are no loose ends by the end of it. I really don't want to say anything, and it's really difficult for me not to say anything, because what this movie is trying to say crosses all boundaries it doesn't only pertain to gay men it pertains to heterosexuals homosexuals if you're bisexual transsexual pansexual anybody the root core of this film transcends all lines all barriers and anybody can pull from it and that is what i think makes this movie so beautiful And it pains me. It really bothers me when people ask me about this movie called Call Me By Your Name. What what it's about, it looks like a love story or a story about a father and a son. And about 85% of the time, when I tell these people what the movie is about, before I even get 25 seconds into it, they're completely turned off by it and will definitely not watch the movie Whereas if I didn't say anything about it, there is a chance they would have checked it out. And it just really bothers me. It's almost as if the movie should be more mysterious and not be completely obvious that it's about two gay men. But then again, it could mean that I'm more cultured or, Matt, that you're more cultured because whenever I first saw the trailer for this movie, I had a pretty good idea about of, uh, of what this movie was going to be about. I don't know if that means I'm more in tune with this sort of thing, because I'm not bothered by it. I you, embrace it. Would you say it was maybe just we have a more critical eye because we watch so many damn movies? <laughs> I mean, it, it could be that, but it's like, I think we're more, when it comes to society, when it comes to relationships, we knew, we, we know that it's not just black and white. There are a lot of different characters. There are a lot of different people out there. And people don't like that. Therefore, whenever they see a trailer that doesn't outright say this is a story, a love story between a boy and an older man, we we can still catch on to it. We still know we I mean, just I don't know what I'm saying. Actually, I do know what I'm saying. I just don't know how to actively uh, get it across, I suppose. But when it comes down to it, don't be a fucking idiot and not see this movie because 
of its subject matter, don't be that fucking idiot. I will be the first one to call you a fucking idiot because this is a beautiful, beautiful film. It's a long film, but it's absolutely worth it. And if you can't find a little bit of humanity in it, there is something fucking wrong with you. You know, and if you're going to be nitpicky about it, it does have some faults. But 4.75 out of 5, it definitely ties with Phantom Thread in my book as one of the best flicks of the year. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, there you go, folks. We got a lot of that. We got a lot of work done for us, uh, for, for the Oscars this year. So next week, we're going to be doing five movies, uh, all the documentaries. We're going to cover all the uh, documentaries for you next week. So we've got Abacus, Small Enough to Jail, Icarus, Last Men in Aleppo, Strong Island, and Faces, Places. Those will be the flicks we are going to see. And without further ado, I believe it is time for the spiel, is it not, sir? Spiel on. Oh, stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She's going to catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama didn't raise no dummies. I duck her rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. Chomp don't want to help, Chomp don't get the help. Say can't hang, say seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in here. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at Nitswit12345. You can, of course, come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down on the old sound loud so until next week this is matt saying that thanks to laurie metcalf i get to say this i'm hideously shy as myself but on stage i can run around naked and bite the heads off fish take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week madam perhaps we should be going oh very well monsieur thank you so much so nice to see you and I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. It's Chinatown. 
Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>